there's often a lot of talk about the different generations. We have the the builders, those of you in our congregation who are mainly the oldest here. We have the boomers. We have Generation X, Generation Z, uh, the millennials, and Generation Alpha. And if you want to think about big picture, most of the churches that are built in America, often many of them were built by the builders. Uh, that generation was very church, went to church, built churches. You can think about the boomers. The mega churches were mo- mainly built by the boomers. Uh, and most of them went to church, some did not. And then I'm the next generation, Generation X. My generation pretty much has checked out, doesn't care about much. You don't hear much about my generation. Many of uh, my generation don't go to church. Then we have the millennials who uh, some are in church, some are not, and then uh, on down. And the idea that we have as believers is we want to impact different generations, people in our own generation, people after us. That's the whole point of this generational impact plan we had from four years ago. This is the whole point of our overhaul to do something here that's going to impact generations of the village. It's the whole point of our church planting plan to reach the next generations as we've planted three churches in America with one on the way. We send out missionaries to reach the next generation. We want to be about those who are reaching our current generation and the next generation for the Lord. So I want to take it to you to a level that's personal. Rather than thinking about, okay, big picture, think about it personally. What does it look like for you to impact not just the next generation and kids and grandkids, but right now, what does it look like for you to impact the village generation? People living around you. Too many times you may assume people your age are stuck in cement by what they believe and they won't change. And yet, who can testify in here that we have seen people your age get saved and baptized at your age? We've seen that, right? There's still some out there who are not saved who have yet to be baptized. And as you impact the village generation, that's not going to come with you necessarily bringing them to church. It might, but it's going to be you going to them, loving them, and sharing the gospel with them. God did not just bring you here to live it up. He brought you here to impact people with the gospel. And you may think, well, you know, you don't know me. I'm not very, I can't talk very good. I'm I'm not very fun to be around. You just don't know me. I'm not gifted in those ways. Well, this morning, I'm going to encourage you by introducing you to three people who impacted their generation in ways that are unexpected, and I want to use that as an encouragement to you. So today, believe it or not, we're in the book of Judges, but I'm not going to go off on you at all. I'm going to be so nice, and I want you to see something positive in Judges and see yourself in that positivity for once of impacting people as they did. So let's go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 2. We're going to be in Judges chapter 2. And chapter 3 today, we started the book of Judges last week. A lot of it's going to be kind of a repeat. If you remember, Joshua and his generation entered the promised land and started taking the land and killing the people in the land. They were obedient to the Lord and pushing the people out, claiming the promised land. 
During the lifetime of Joshua, people served the Lord. So let's start with chapter 2 of Judges and verse 7. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. So Joshua's generation followed the Lord and that was to carry over to the next generation. I mean, just think about it. The Joshua generation was awesome, right? They, they went in, they started taking the land. Surely the generation after Joshua's generation who saw what mom and dad did would be on board. Well, let's see. Look at verse eight. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in timnath Harris and the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. All the generation also were gathered to the fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. How is that possible? The next generation did not know the Lord in a personal way. I mean, I think it's very similar to my generation where you, you may have had grandparents or parents that went to church, but on a whole does not know the Lord. I'm reading a book that just came out. It's called The Great De-Churching. The Great De-Churching. And it's very interesting that it talks about uh, that we are currently experiencing the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history. This shift is greater than the first and second awakenings combined, but in the opposite direction. Tens of millions of regular Christian worshipers have decided to stop attending church, leaving little explanation as to why. More specifically, over the last 25 years, the church has seen 40 million people in America disappear. Gone. They don't attend anymore. Whatever's going on spiritually, we're not quite sure. And, and the book explains a, a lot of reasons why. But however you look at it, we see that a certain generation or generations were engaged with the Lord, but now not so much. And we see here in Judges, since the generation did not know the Lord, what did they do? They turn away and do evil in his sight. Look at verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. Then the sons of Israel did evil on the side of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, their God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed their gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed themselves down to him. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger, so they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Asherah. First generation believes. Second generation assumes Third generation forgets. And here we have them turning to evil. The Israelites are following other gods and doing evil. The question is, will God just let this go? Will he let his people slide? No, no. He sends pagan nations to oppress them. Verse 14. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil as the Lord had spoken as the Lord had sworn to them so that they were severely distressed. 
It can be a good thing sometimes to be severely distressed. God's discipline can be a good thing. But after God oppressed them for some time, and they cried out, he would deliver them by sending judges. Do not think of a judge like Judge Judy. Do not think of a judge in a courtroom with a robe. These are military leaders that deliver the people of Israel on behalf of God. God raises them up to deliver his people. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges to deliver them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked. In obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with them and judged and delivered them for the hand of their enemies all the days of their judge. For the Lord was moved to pity for their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. We have a basic pattern going on here. The people do evil in the sight of God. He allows them to be pressed by the nations. They cry out. God sends a judge, delivers them, and then they repeat. Evil. Discipline, cry out, judge, deliverance. Repeat over and over and over again. If you get sick and tired of reading the book of Judges, you may get sick and tired of seeing that same pattern in your own life. Sin, discipline, oh Lord have mercy. Deliverance, repeat. That's what's going on here. And this goes on for about 350 years. You have 12 judges in the book of Judges. You have six major ones, six that are minor that you don't talk as much about. And the judges are supposed to lead the people out of the oppression of the enemy and back to the Lord. And as we will see, not all of them will do such a good job of that. Samson, to name one. There's others. But let's stay positive today. Today we have three good judges that get it done. And I'm going to just be positive for you. I'm going to say, hey, imitate these judges. There's a point now we can say, okay, we can see what they did and we can have some semblance of imitation in our own generation and impacting for the gospel. So this is going to be good. We're going to look at these three judges really quick. This is going to be fun. Maybe you've not considered these judges so much. When you think of judges, you probably don't think of these three, but you should because they did a good job. The first one is Othniel, Othniel. We're going to see his faith in action. So let's pick it up in chapter three. Chapter three. And we're going to start in verse seven. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord or forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherah. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So they sold them in the hands of Kishir, Rithium, king of Mesopotamia, and the sons of of Israel served Cushioth Rithium eight years. Once again, the pattern, they do evil. God oppresses them. They're going to cry out. And then they're going to bring along this guy named Othniel. Now, let's pause for a moment. I just want to tell you about Othniel. He is the man. If you were here last week, we touched on him a little bit. This guy gets the work done. He is equipped. He has a solid family as he's connected with Caleb. He has a successful past and some military leadership. He killed the Canaanites and he had a great track record of conquering people. So Othniel's a total package. But the issue is 
is God going to use him again? And what is he going to have to do? You see, the idea is that you can have the total package. You can have your spiritual gifts. You can have a faithful track record. You can be such a great person. But if you don't take that step of faith, God will not use you. So watch what Othniel does. Look at this faith in action. Verses 10 and 11. The spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. When he went out to war, the Lord gave Kishioth Rithium, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand so that he prevailed over Kishim Rithian. Then the land had rest 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So this very gifted man, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He went out and he conquered. He put his faith into action, and he delivered the people. Now you can think about, okay, what does it look like? Here I am, I'm living in the village. Uh, what can it look like for me to put my faith into action? I've been going to church my whole life. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it look like to put your faith in action and impact this generation? Well, let me give you a little image to think about, okay? About every other day, we have a truck pull up to our house, FedEx delivery. They deliver to us constantly. Random things. And the delivery driver, when he sees, uh, when he delivers us at the door and he sees our dog, he'll give our dog a bone, like a treat. When we're driving throughout the neighborhood and uh, he's driving throughout the neighborhood and we're walking the dog, he'll stop, give our dog a treat. When he delivers a package and no one is at home, he puts the package down and he puts the treat on top of the package. Now, do you think when this guy was being interviewed with FedEx, they said, okay, now, do you really know how to give treats to dogs? What do you think about dogs? What do you think about... No, here is this guy. His job is simply to deliver packages, and yet he is going above and beyond what is expected. And that's what I want you to think about. What would it look like for you to go above and beyond what is expected where you live? You're a good neighbor. What's expected of you? Well, you you treat your neighbor nice. You don't talk about them on Facebook. Okay? You treat them nice. That's expected. You get their mail while they're gone. There's a lot of expected things you have of neighbors. But what would it look like for you to live in the village and to go beyond what is expected? Not just to be a nice person. Anybody can be nice. But what would it look like as a believer to impact people in the village that go beyond what is expected? I think about my wife when we were living in Chicago. We would, she would do something with the teachers at the schools. So we were, we were in the, living in Skokie, uh, Evanston area, and she would invite the teachers over to a meal at our house. And that's, I know you live down south, but up there that does not happen. You barely acknowledge the teachers. You may give them a treat or something at Christmas time, but to invite them to the house, so these teachers are over, they'd be like, did I do something wrong? <laughs> I've never been invited to anybody's house before for my students. Never. But we'd have a chance to invite them over to talk about Jesus, to share the gospel. A wife is doing something that is beyond what is expected. And I want to ask you, living here, living now, what can you do to impact this generation beyond what is expected? Othniel takes a step of faith. 
Now we're going to come to this next guy, and this next guy, you're not going to believe this story. You're going to wonder if this story is really in the Bible. I'm going to make sure we're really reading it. It's this guy named Ehud, and if you can't handle queasy movies and stuff, you might want to close your ears for a while. This is going to get pretty nasty. All right, here we go. Chapter 3, verse 12. Now the sons of Israel again did evil on the side of the Lord, so the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil on the side of the Lord. And they gathered to himself the sons of Ammon and Amalek, and he went and defeated Israel, and they possessed the city of the, of the palm trees. The sons of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Hmm. So we have Eglon here. He is now taking over Israelites for being foolish in the eyes of the Lord, and God has put them under oppression. All right? So who is going to deliver them? Look at verse 15. But when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. And the sons of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Whoa, whoa, this is not a normal warrior. It's very specific. You know, a left-handed man, most of the warriors are right-handed. And this is included here for a reason because it's going to show you this is not a normal warrior. And this guy, Ehud, he used his natural gifting and his spirit empowered gifting in a very clever and ingenious way. Look at this plan, all right? They're going to bring tribute to Eglon and it's going to come with a gift, all right? Look at verse 16. Ehud made himself a sword, which had two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right side under his cloak. So the guards and the kings would never expect a sword would be there because swords were on the left side for right-handed people. So his sword is strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. Verse 17. So he's bringing this gift. He presented the gift to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. Isn't that interesting? Why is that there? Why are you telling me that Eglon's a very fat man? Well, it's because he was fat. And the reason why he's fat is more of a symbolic twist in that he's living and oppressing the Israelites with their food and taking it into himself. So his obesity symbolizes his greed for it was a result of this luxuriant living off of the Israelites. Verse 18. It came about when he had finished presenting the tribute that he sent away the people who carried the tribute, but he himself turned back from the idols which were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, keep silence. And all who attended him laughed. Okay, so they bring all the, the prizes and presents and stuff from Israel to Eglon. And he's like, oh, I, you know, I have, I have this one more thing I need to give you. It's pretty special. I, I, I want to give you this secret message. And the king is so excited. He's like, I want everybody out of here because this is just for me. Israel through Ehud's about to give me this special present. So the king suspects nothing. Verse 20. Get ready for this. You know what's coming. Ehud came to him while he was sitting alone in his cool roof, in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message for you from God. 
and he rose from his seat. Ahab stretched out his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. The handle also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the sword out of his belly, and the refuse came out. Then Ahud went out into the vestibule and shut the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. Now, it, it says the, <laughs> the phrase, which came out the back. And you may think, oh, so the sword goes in. So here's the deal, okay? Let me just tell you what. Let me just give you some little graphics here. So, takes a sword, plunges it in, goes in so far, the handle's in. He's like, ooh, yeah, you can keep that. <laughs> he plunges it in, and it says it came out the back. And you think, well, does that mean the, the, the sword poked way out the back? No, what it's referring to, it came out the back, is that the the Offal in his belly came out. That's another word for his feces came out the back. Everything. You're thinking, why are you telling me this? It's very important. Verse 24. When he had gone out, his servants came and looked, and behold, the doors of the roof chamber were locked. And they said, he is only relieving himself in the cool of the room. So they're thinking, oh, king is going to the bathroom. The doors are locked. He's going to the bathroom. We certainly smell something like he's going to the bathroom. That's because all of his guts and his intestines came out. Stinky, stinky. It's going to the bathroom. And here's the most humorous part, verse 25. They waited until they became anxious. <laughs> but behold, he did not open the doors of the roof chamber. Therefore, they took the key and opened them. And behold, their master had fallen to the floor dead. They bust in, the king's dead. Now it's time for the deliverance, verse 26. Now Ehud escaped while they were delaying and he passed by the idols and escaped to Sierra. It came about when he had arrived that he blew the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim and the sons of Israel went down with him from the hill country and he was in front of them. He said to them, pursue them for the Lord has given your enemies the Moabites in your hands. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan opposite Moab and did not allow anyone to cross they struck down at the time about 10,000 Moabites, all robust and valiant men, and no one escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land was undisturbed for 80 years. What in the world do you do with that story? God used a man, a judge, a left-handed man, to overtake the oppressors, deliver them. He was very clever. It was a very ingenious plan. And yet God used it to deliver his people. And I think that in many ways that not only are we called to do more than is expected in reaching this generation, I think we got to think of some creative ways to reach people in our lives, to reach the next generation. I, I've been around some creative people and I've seen some amazing things. I, I, there's this doctor who makes a lot of money nine months out of the year. And so for three months out of the year, he can go and use his doctoring for good with the gospel. A few years ago, there was a, a group of homosexuals that were converted to Jesus. They took out an ad in the paper and they said, hey, you can change through Jesus. It's pretty clever, pretty ingenious. And I see some of you doing some pretty cool stuff. There's a 
former pastor in our congregation who does a verse of the day, works with church planners, very creative. Other of you are doing some stuff, getting ready for Christmas, shoebox project, some pretty creative ways to serve and get the gospel out. It doesn't have to be one standard way that fits all, but there can be ways that we are impacting our generation with the gospel by doing more than is expected and to be very creative in thinking of ways that we can share the gospel with others. And you may think, yeah, but still, I'm not sure God can use me. Well, wait till you see this last guy. It's, he takes up an entire verse. Chapter 3, verse 31. This is after Ahud. After him came Jamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goat, and he also saved Israel. That, doesn't that just seem so random? Like, what? One verse? Well, I like that this is here. This is a very unlikely hero because, for one, he's a foreigner. Are, are there not enough leaders in Israel that you have to go and choose a foreigner? I mean, these, with his name and his background of Shamgar and Anath, it's not someone from his, an Israelite leader. He's a foreigner leader. And not only that, he is, appears to be a farmer. He used his ox goad, which is a long stick that, that he used, you know, you use the stick to prod animals. Well, I don't know, he had something going on, some martial arts or something. And he killed 600 uh, Philistines with it, and he delivered Israel. You would never expect a guy like this to do that. And you may think, you know, God's not going to use me. I'm, I'm at the tail end. I'm doing some stuff here that I'm just, just living my days. But yet God still has a plan for you to impact others. And I want to tell you something pretty creative here. Maybe you've heard this story. Maybe not. It's, it's about a guy who was just a regular Sunday school teacher. His name was Mr. Kimball. Mr. Kimball one day went to the shoe store and he was going to buy some shoes and somebody was helping him there with his shoes. And so Mr. Kimball shared the gospel with this guy. And this guy got saved, went on to become a preacher and the great evangelist we know is D.L. Moody. Just because somebody, a science school teacher, shared the gospel with him in a shoe store. But the story's not done. So this guy named Moody, I'm sure you've heard of him. Um, he was hanging out with this guy, F.B. Meyer, who was a pastor of this really small church. And Moody's like, man, you got to go, go, go preach the word on college campuses. So he goes on a college campus and he spoke there. And this man comes to Christ named Wilbur Chapman. So this Chapman guy, he did some local work at the YMCA, and while he was there, he decided to hire a, a former baseball player named Billy Sunday to do some evangelistic work. And, you know, Billy Sunday's a great revivalist, and so in North Carolina, they're doing these revival. And uh, uh, while they were there, they brought in this guy named Mordecai Ham to preach at the revival. And while Ma Mordecai Ham is preaching, there's this young guy in the audience who gets saved, and his name is Billy Graham. Okay, so let me start from the beginning. All right, did you catch that? We have some guy, just a random Sunday school teacher goes in, shares the gospel in a shoe store with this guy who's helping him with shoes, and that guy gets saved, ends up being Moody, and then Moody impacts Fred Meyer, who preaches, and then Wilbur Chapman gets saved, hires Billy Sunday, preach the gospel, Mordecai Ham's brought in to preach at these revivals, and then Billy Graham gets saved, and all this started because some guy went to go buy some shoes. And while he was buying some shoes, he was sharing the gospel. 
You think, well, that would never happen to me. Don't you buy shoes? You do stuff. We all do stuff that's just normal stuff of life. And what I'm trying to get you to say is you got to go beyond what's expected. You're not going to see stories like this if you don't open your mouth and step out in faith. And you may think, well, there's no way God can use me. This is my background. Do you not see me? Do you not see where I'm from? Do you not know where I'm from? And I want you to, I want you to grab a hold of this beautiful thing that's written in the New Testament about you and me and many of us. It, it, it talks about God using the foolish things of this world to shame the strong. First Corinthians says this. Just listen to this. One twenty-six and 29 says, For consider your calling, brethren. There are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the spies God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. Summary. God chose you, not because you're awesome. (laughs) He saved you by his grace. And he wants to use you to impact others. And and you think, well, I've I've not really seen that happen before. Well, then you've not met me. Do you understand? I should not be preaching to you this morning. I'm the foolish things of this world. I am the despised things of this world. I am, you know, I was at my son's tennis match this week and uh, we were over there at Lakeside and there was this guy a few courts over and he's screaming and he's yelling while he's playing tennis. And I'm telling my daughter, that used to be me in high school, but my screaming and yelling was full of cuss words. I'd love to go back to my high school and say, that dude over there, that dude is now preaching the gospel. Can you believe it? I certainly can't believe it. God takes people like us and uses us to spread his gospel. And get this, we follow the greatest judge ever. And our judge, our deliverer, Jesus Christ, he's not like the judges and judges which have power and strength and military might. He has all the hat, right, right? But he comes down in his first coming as a servant, born to a peasant girl. And he comes as our mighty deliverer and dies on the cross to conquer sin, Satan, and death. And he rises again in power. And on the second coming, that's another story altogether. But we follow the one the world despised. And we are part of those the world despises. And we're in a good place to be used by God. So my brothers and my sisters, as you think about impacting other people, go beyond what's expected. Don't just be a nice neighbor. Go beyond what's expected. Take a step of faith. Be, be even clever about it. And if you feel like that you, what can you little old you do? Read the Bible. It's full of people like you. And it's full of people like me that God chooses to use for his glory to deliver people across this nation and across this world from sin and death so they may have a life and life eternal.